morning, church. I still like to preach behind the pulpit. I'm kind of old school like that. You know, Mac Owen built this pulpit years ago, and uh, what you don't get to see, and I think Mike has told you a time or two, behind here it says it's not about me, and uh, Mac did that for me, just to remind me or anybody else that stood here in this spot uh, what it was we were called to do. What a great blessing for that. Isn't it great to see uh, old uh, Dame Burley Jennings uh, back here with us? You did a good job this morning. Yeah, those of you who know Dame. <laughs> you know, when I, uh, it reminds me of this recurring vision that I have when I see Burley. I'm in a hospital bed recovering from something, and I'm hoping that a uh, tiny hand, big nurse, big-hearted nurse will come in and take care of me. And all of a sudden, the door flies open, and there's Nurse Dane Jennings looking the way he did this morning. <laughs> and then in my dream, I say, Lord, take me now. Uh, <laughs> it's always great uh, to see folks that have been uh, blessed here by being at White's Road, being a part of this family, uh, to come home. It always feels like home, doesn't it, uh, no matter where you go. And I feel this way all the time. I certainly have been everywhere, as they say. Uh, I want to remind you about the marriage retreat before I jump in today. There's a table going to be set up in the back. Most of you have already signed up that can come. I think there's a, maybe a couple of spots left. Uh, but be sure and uh, go back there and let them know your shirt size uh, today. So they, they're going to get those ordered this week. Those of you coming to the marriage retreat, we're excited about it. If you don't give them your size, you get the unisex size, which is too big for some and too small for others. It never fits anybody just right. So be sure and stop by there uh, and sign up for that. That's in three weeks. We're excited about that. Lisa and I uh, have uh, written a book uh, that released two weeks ago called A New Season. And uh, I just want to tell you guys, as my church family, and uh, this being my first time up since the book released, uh, how grateful I am uh, for the role that you played in my life uh, and in Lisa's life and uh, the blessing of all the seasons we've had here with you. We started to uh, title the book The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly uh, because it's all in there. But um, you know what? God takes the ugly and makes them very beautiful, does he not? He's been doing that for a long time. We've done a lot of press for it, and so every time we sit down with an interviewer, uh, one of the first questions they would ask is, why in the world would you tell this much and give this much detail uh, about your mistakes and your past and the difficulties in your life? And they don't understand the concept that, you know, once a beggar finds bread, he wants to give it to other people. Redemption uh, is very ugly at first because that's what sin is. But man, when it catches hold, it does great things in people's life. It becomes beautiful to see life change, to see lives turn and change. Every person that we've been able to help through our story, I'm so grateful that it makes my scars look a little prettier to be able to help someone else. That's what healing does in people's lives. So thank you, church, uh, for your role in our lives. Also, thank you, church, for uh, those of you that have been so honest with me about my weight gain. Um, I'm very much looking forward to the day when I get into my 60s and I can basically say anything I want to people without worrying about how it makes them feel. And so I jotted down some of my favorite things that have been said over the last few months. Uh, one of my favorites is, is the classic, that come up in the pat of the belly and say, what do we have here? What we have here is my fat stomach, but thank you for recognizing that today. It makes me feel so good. In fact, I, I found a couple of pictures 
that will uh, basically describe to you how I feel now as I walk around, especially when I tie my shoes. Show that picture right there. Um, it's my son-in-laws, uh, Jay Galifianakis and, and Vinny, and uh, they, uh, they have my grandchildren strapped to them, which I guess now is the way you carry kids. And, but when I saw that, I thought, that's exactly, every time you bend over to tie your shoes, I feel that toddler, you know, right here. Uh, one of my favorites, my good friend Lloyd Williams, uh, Al, you're looking fleshy. I didn't even know fleshy was a word until Lloyd. Thank you, Lloyd. Love you, too. Um, my good friend Stan Fortenberry, hadn't seen him in probably two years. Son, you need to push away from the table. That was the opening line. Stan, it's so good to see you, too, that you're still on the right side up in, out in Roselong. Um, <laughs> this is one I love. Where's old Al? Did you swallow him? <laughs> that was actually funny. And then uh, my best friend from another life, W.E. Phillips, we knew him as Bill and Billy back in the day. He came up after I spoke here a Wednesday night a few months ago, and he said, I'm probably the last one that should say this but you put on some weight. I said, Bill, you're right. You're the last person that should say that. One of my problems, along with getting older and more stationary, uh, is that uh, I tend to save the best for last, and especially when it comes to the meal. Because uh, you know, uh, the Robertsons, we love a good meal. Uh, the ring around the ribeye. You know that piece I'm talking about? Eat the middle out first and you go to that last bit. It's where the fat is, all the good flavor. You know, that's what happens, right? The back strap of a young buck, the lower T in a T-bone, and who doesn't love the eye of the Danish, the cheese Danish, right? You save the best for last. When you do that long enough, you wind up on Nutrisystem. <laughs> There's now what I'm enjoying. And let me just tell you, there's, it doesn't matter first or last, it's all the same, and there's not much of it. That's what happens. Actually, those of you who are, have been trying to motivate me, thank you, but you didn't do it. What actually did it was Willie losing a lot of weight on Nutrisystem. And now I'm on the show, and I don't want to get all the fat jokes, so I'm going about losing my weight as quickly as possible. Today's lesson is uh, sort of along the lines of what we do we save the best for ourselves. Uh, and that's why we call it saving the best for first, uh, and it's a lot more important than a few unwanted pounds. You see, from the very beginning, the very first man, the very first woman, the first husband, the first wife, the human condition of selfishness came into being. And of course, we know it started because of the hiss uh, of a possessed serpent that just told Eve and Adam to eat. Eat. And then you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It wasn't enough that God was there and he created this great paradise. And I mean, here was the first husband, the first wife, and them having their children and populating the earth and having a God that who created them that deserved to be served and to be worshipped. And then they had their place in humanity. No, 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 no. You had to know more. You had to be like him. And selfishness began. And Adam and Eve, once they ate that fruit, and then they knew 
about good and evil, they couldn't unknow what they knew. And so selfishness began right then and right there. I believe that selfishness is at the heart of every, every sinful act. It's where sin thrives in selfishness. What's even worse is what I call selfishness 2.0, the next generation, and that was their children. And we see it, of course, best illustrated in Abel and Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Abel, who discovered something wonderful for all of us, by the way, I mean, at, a, at a, one of the first human beings, he deserved a crucial principle to sort of help countermeasure this idea of selfishness. Because we're all going to face it. We are in a flawed, sinful existence. And every one of us from the time of garden until now is going to struggle with selfishness. We all do. We see it all the time. But Abel gave us a glimpse into some concept that could help us deal with that. And it was the first and the best. He was a rancher. Of course, he, uh, he, he raised uh, livestock there, and he's looking after them. And the Bible says that he presented to God the sacrifice of his firstborn and the fattest of them, the best. That's what went to God. And then somehow he could balance a little bit about his own sinfulness and where he was, and yet a heart that still wanted to serve and to love God. Now, of course, we know about his brother Cain, who was a farmer and also practiced giving, but he did it in such a way that he brought his stuff, but it wasn't the first and it wasn't the best. It was just something probably the last and the least. Maybe some shriveled carrots, a few wilted lettuce heads, maybe some shriveled dates. That was what went to God, and that was what he had to offer, because he had to. Now, God said he wasn't pleased with Cain, but he was with Abel and the heart of that. This made Cain very angry. Now, did he get angry at himself because he has these selfish tendencies and therefore had this internal divide over doing the right thing versus not? No. Did he get angry at God because, God, you're asking too much from me? I mean, you're the creator of the universe, and here I've got my plants here. I'm just trying to take care of business, and now it's about that. Was he angry at God? No. He was angry at his brother, Abel, the one who was just doing the right thing. So God, because he knows our hearts, even sometimes better than we do, comes to Cain to have a little discussion because he knows what Cain is contemplating in this selfish, jealous place that he's living. He comes to him in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. You've been there, hadn't you? Where, I mean, it's just right there, and you're, you're just ready to take one more step, and boom, it's on you. That's where his heart was. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You know what that tells me, folks? Within us is the capacity and the power to rule over the sin that is right there waiting on us, if we do the right thing. What was Cain's response? with this last word of warning to do the right thing. He went out the next day, and he murdered his brother. And what did that bring about? Now you feel better about yourself? Now is the world in order? 
You've killed the person who showed the way to a heart for God, and now you've done that, and how does that make you feel? The Bible says in 1 John 3, this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. Not always, right? He had an opportunity to do the right thing and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Can you believe that we, as human beings, would take it out on our fellow human beings for just them doing the right thing? That's how powerful selfishness is. And I'll tell you something even worse. The legacy of Cain, just a few generations later, we get to Genesis chapter 6, was complete and utter destruction of the human race. That's where selfishness can go. Read this. It's a horror story. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Isn't that horrible? Now, there weren't near as many people on the planet at that time there are now, but still, every heart, every inclination, evil all the time. What a terrible place to be. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. Just think about that. Let that moment soak in on you just for a second. And this started because Cain and a sacrifice were done with a selfish heart. That's where this began. And not only them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. That's this progressive, powerful nature of sin that comes from selfishness. I don't know about you, but I see some of the same elements in place today. Same hearts, same actions, same selfish beliefs that it's about you. It's you. It's your rights. It's what you deserve. Our countermeasure to selfishness is the same thing it was then, the first and the best. And thank God there was one heart that didn't give in. Or we, or we wouldn't be sitting here today. Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One guy still had the concept and the notion that if you give to God what is first and best, you can keep at bay the selfishness that will destroy you, your family, your fellow citizens of the planet. That's how powerful this is. Whenever Noah escaped in the ark, and had what was left of the animals on board with him and his family, the first thing he did when the boat docked on dry ground was to get out, take what few precious animals were there, a few of those, and sacrifice the first and the best to the Almighty God to remind us to this day, and every time you see a rainbow, it's another reminder, according to God, that someone had a heart for him. Praise God for the remnant that's willing to stand and do the right thing in a selfish culture, in a selfish society. I've been there, have you? Man, I was drowning in the city of New Orleans and my ark was a 1976 Monte Carlo and I got out of there. And the first thing I did when I got to the banks of the Washtenaw River was give God the first and the best. It changed my life. It's impacted other people. The Hebrew writer puts it this way. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse four. 
By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. By faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Think about that. What, what is his blood telling us to this day? It's better to serve God and give him the first and the best. Still speaks. By faith, Noah, in verse 7, when warned about things not yet seen, I mean, it never rained, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. What did Noah bring us all those thousands of years ago? The notion of hope. The notion of something better. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As much and powerful as Abel's blood is, the blood of Christ is more. Because in him we have hope of eternal life. Not just surviving and doing better in this life with selfishness, but actually a hope to live beyond the planet. Because we had no answer for our own sin. So Jesus came to this earth. Why? Because God even understands first fruits. He sent us his first, the one and only, his son, Jesus, for us. To do what? To be sacrificed on a cross. Willingly gave himself for our sin. To be put into a tomb that wouldn't hold him. To go back to the right hand of the Father. To be waiting, as Burley said, to come and to take us home to be with him. That's why the blood of Jesus speaks even better than the blood of Abel. Now, I'm going to tell you something. As I stand here before you today, I know of what I speak. I've seen it. I've seen the transformation in my own life, and I've seen the transformation in my family's life. 1972, I was seven years old. I have a picture to prove it. Show that picture. There I am. And Jace is there, and Willie's there. He's still in the womb, but he's there. Checking things out. And there's mom and there's dad. Jep was still waiting. That family, living in Junction City, Louisiana, did not bring the first or the best to the Almighty God. In fact, they brought nothing to the Almighty God. As a child, I had the blessing of being around some people that happened to be people of God who showed me some things that were better, but I didn't know. My, our family didn't know. And the result of this heart and this selfish life that was being led by my parents was this. Drunkenness, depravity, selfishness, violence, shattered and broken lives, and ultimately separation with divorce impending and looming. That's what we knew. I see it all the time. I worked here for many years, and I saw families come in at this exact place where selfishness takes you, as an individual, as a combined couple, and then as a family. The world is full of this sort of brokenness. But praise be to God. He raised someone up to tell them a story. First story, of course, went to mom in 1974. She heard a message here that changed her life and began then to help us change our lives. But she was treated worse by a selfish father, selfish husband, until 1975. 
And he came here to West Monroe and sat down with one Bill Smith for three nights and decided he didn't want to be selfish anymore. Lives were changed. Hearts were uplifted. The gospel went out. Lives were changed. And our lives were changed forever. We lived down in the Pine Terrace Apartments, which are called something else now, right up the road on North 7. We were a new family putting things together in a new way. 1975, Jason and I started at Millsaps. How many of you went to Millsaps Elementary? All right, all 10 of you are still here. You know, the school's gone, been gone for years. We ended that year at a brand new Christian school called Washtenaw Christian School. It was meeting at that time at the Forsyth Church of Christ, later here. Lives changed. Isn't it amazing what God can do when we give it to him? We moved out in the summer of 76 on the river, and we decided to start building some duck calls, and we were going to fund the operation with fishing. And I remember a lot of people telling Dad, you're insane if you think you can raise up your family off of fishing. But in faith and in this crazy view that God would do all things if you trusted in him, he decided to do it anyway. And I learned a lot from fishing. I really learned the principles that have guided me to this very moment as I stand in this pulpit today. I learned that the first and best go to kingdom work. We didn't make a lot of money fishing, and we were trying to start a business at the same time. But you know what? Dad and Mom set aside first fruits of that money, that cash money that came from the fish market, to right here to the work and other works around the world. I learned that from watching. They taught me that. We had fish fries for preachers and teachers, and they would come out. And I mean, all the preachers I knew here loved to eat. Um, which is why you wind up on Nutrisystem, by the way. You love to eat. They call it the preacher meat for a reason, right? But Bill Smith and Carl Allison and Dub DeLoach and all this, just a steady strain, a train of people, and, and Jim Young and, and all these guys, Don DeLuke, and they came out there and they would eat fish, and then Dad would pepper them with Bible questions for hours. And we all sat around, the boys did, and listened, and we learned something. You know what we learned? First and best is what we give to God. And then the brothers and sisters would be invited out. It was, it was almost like a miracle. A Bible class of 40 people would turn into 200 people because we were serving fish on the river. And Just like Jesus did when he broke that fish, we seemed to go out and catch the fish out of nets and there was enough for everybody to be full and to be blessed. First and best for the kingdom. We also had the first and best for us as a family. We ate a lot of fish back in the day, you know, that's what we did, because that was, you're catching it, but we're eating. But Dad fed us the best, the belly meat of that opelousas, the ribs off that buffalo, the most delicious, best fish we ate first, and then we took the rest of the market. You say, well, that makes sense. It didn't to the market. Bale's Fish Market, which is right down there at the foot of the Inland Bridge now, is what it used to be. We would go in there and take our fish, and of course, Mr. Bales, uh, he would feed his family fish as well, because he was just a little further down the chain than we were, but they were making their money off fish selling to the public. But when I looked at their plate of their fried fish, I saw collarbones, fins, tails, and every piece that was cut away that couldn't be sold. Now, I don't know that man well enough to judge his heart, but I just learned a valuable lesson there, that when it comes to family, 
first and best is the most important thing, not the scraps of everything that's left. That's part of our problem today in families. We get just whatever's left. What I threw after work, what I'm done after my activities, and then whatever's left for the family, that's what we're going to give, husband and wife. Is it any wonder why half end in divorce? First and best. That's what I learned from fishing. And I learned about the first and best for the lost. I saw people come in, and I saw them fill their bellies with fish, and I saw them watch and listen as the story of Jesus and changed lives was presented to them, and then we would go out in the same river that produced the fish, they would go down into and come up a new creation. And I learned that because that's what happens when you give the first and the best, and you're hospitable, and you're open to people coming and sharing with them. I saw thieves taking fish out of nets, which means taking money out of our pocket. And I saw my dad give them the fish and say, don't steal. I'll give you some fish, but don't steal. He said that with a Browning automatic shotgun across his lap. <laughs> and I learned a principle there. We'd rather have a Bible study, but if a gunfight breaks out, we're ready for that too. <laughs> there was a, a man and his family, they're here at the first service. I don't know if they're still here. Are you still here, Dylan? They were here at the first service. And, um, you know, they came down, and now there's a gate up out there because so many people are coming through, which is unfortunate in some ways, but there's a gate up. But, you know, this man wanted to learn about Jesus. He came all the way from Missouri. He had his family. He had a son and a daughter and a little baby and his wife. So he scaled the fence and went down there and just on foot walked up to Dad's house, which is not really a good move these days. I'm just going to let you know if you're thinking about that. Because we're very well armed these days because there's some crazy people out there. But he did it anyway. And he knocked on that door and dad comes up with that AR next to his side and said, can I help you, son? And dad said he just turned like a ghost, you know, solid white. He says, I just came to learn about Jesus. He said, yep, that's what I figured anybody would say that had mischief on their mind. What, what are you really doing here? <laughs> no, Mr. Phil, I really want to hear about Jesus. Well, i tell you what. He said, I got my wife in the kids in the car. You go back and get them, bring them down. If there really is a wife or kids, I'll set this aside and I'll get the Bible out. You didn't see dad, you know, looking at Mount Rushmore while he's saying it, you know. <laughs> oh, Dylan brought his family back. New Christian is in class today, led a, class, a prayer in dad's class. And while I wouldn't suggest you try that, I could also think about, you know, those four guys that took their friend and dropped him down through the roof. I said, you know, some people just got to get to Christ however they can. And he did. I learned that from fishing. I learned about being discipled, like Tommy Powell discipling dad in a boat, running fishing nets. You remember that, Tommy? Lives change in a boat. Now they do it today. Call it Fishers of Men here. It's been a long-standing ministry with Celebrate Recovery. You know, it's a ploy. You get out in the boat, where are you going to go? Right? You can't help but be discipled or jump out in the river and drown. I love it. That's why Jesus picked four out of his 12 that were fishermen. They wouldn't understand that. And now I look at our family and I just say, wow. Luke 16, those that can be entrusted with a little can be entrusted with much. If you understand the principle of first and best. And I understand that. What are our takeaways from today? Five things, five questions that I want you to ask yourself today. And I don't know the answer, only you'll know. First one is, is God getting the first and best of my earnings, the money I make? Maybe a little, 
because you're getting it out of the Washtenaw River. Maybe a lot because you're getting it out of the pockets of other people that you're serving or working for and doing whatever you do. Whatever it is, it's real simple for me. Is God getting the first and the best? Or is he getting the shriveled carrots, the wilted lettuce, and the shriveled dates? Only you know the answer to that question. The first and best of my earnings. Is God getting the first and best of my energy? And sometimes I feel like this is even a much more difficult one than the earnings. Because you talk about a limited resource in energies. I don't know about you, but I, I hit half a hundred earlier this month, and I realized that the energy bank is not what it used to be. It's just not there anymore. And you know, it's this last year I saw two interesting things. I saw my niece, Sadie, uh, on Dances with the Stars. And didn't she do great, by the way? Aren't you proud of Sadie being a part of us? I'm so proud of her. And when, I, when we went out there and we watched it, all I can just say is energy. I mean, physically, you know, you're 17 years old, you got lots of energy, but then a spiritual energy that's there. You know why she said she went to L.A. to be on a show like this? To share her faith and to show that Christians can have fun. And I'm so proud of her for doing that. That's what, that's what it's about, right? The giving of energy. And I know how you feel because you're sitting there just like I did, watching these people dancing around and running around. You're thinking, man, if I was young like that and had that kind of energy, I'd do it. But then I learned something else last year from Bill Smith, my mentor, the one who shared and changed and helped change my dad's life. I saw Bill Smith in his 80s. Energy meter as low as it could possibly be for this man that I've watched all these years. And what little he had left, still serving the Almighty, and to use it to teach our staff, to teach anybody that will listen. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's a lot or a little. Is it the first and the best? And only you know the answer to that question. Is God getting the first and best of my environment? In other words, the who you are and where you are. And that includes your home mostly, but it also includes your job as well. A very important and lost art that's all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is the art of hospitality. To use our environment to further the kingdom, to help other people, and to strengthen people. It's becoming a lost art because of restaurants, because of Nutrisystem, because of whatever, that people lose that sense of hospitality. Hospitality changed the world in the first century church. If we're going to change the world in this century, you're going to have to give the first and the best of your environment. Is God getting the first and best of my excitement? Oh, it's so much fun to be here and with you guys and on Sunday. It's just a blessing. And now, I, you know, I miss it so much because I'm so many other places. When I come in here, it's so exciting. That excitement that we have for the kingdom of God, is it, is it the first and the best? And not just here, but everywhere. Or maybe is it, Something else, your hobbies, your work, something else you're excited about where God just gets, ah, shriveled carrot. That's what God's going to get of my excitement. Only you know the answer to that question. Is God getting the first and best of my everything? And that's the ultimate question, is it not? He made it all. Trent and Mike have talked about it. He, he owns it all. It's all his. He can take it back and at a second's notice, and yet he decides to entrust in us, the stewards of the planet, his children, 
to offer him the first and the best. Sometimes sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you because of selfishness. But you must master it, and you can. And so where are you at this morning? Do you remember the blood of Abel that reminds us of what jealousy and bitterness and the ugliness of selfishness can do in your life? Because I can guarantee if you've been the ruler of your life up until this point, you've had a lot of heartache. I've been there. But you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. What an opportunity that we have. And you are right. Jesus is the answer. Our answer. Your answer. Fifteen years ago, the winter of 1999, well, that was a game changer for me and Lisa. What a year. What a way to end the year. Close to divorce, as far away as you could possibly be, and yet working here for you in this church, embarrassed to no end. My Lisa walked right down that aisle and sat over there and said, I've been selfish. My life needs to change. Because of that, 15 years later, we're traveling all around the country and we're telling people about a new season, a new opportunity in life change because when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, things can be changed forever. We're living that. We get it. That's the opportunity for you today as well. If you've never made that first, most important, best step, and that's the step to become a son or daughter of God, today's the day. If you need to renew, look, I get it. I've lived it. The ugliness is there. Today's an opportunity to let go of your selfishness and the sin crouching at your door and to become renewed. You have that opportunity. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?